And thank you so much for watching live, watching on demand, and of course, listening to our podcast. So there, there's a couple things. I, I know life is just crazy right now. Life's been crazy since since Tuesday. But one thing that I, I want to just reassure us of is I think this is the perfect time that we're going through Peter's letter to a group of churches. And the reason why is because it allows us to end 2020 well, which hasn't started necessarily well. Peter, a close friend of Jesus, wrote a letter that circulated around local churches. And what I love is that this letter was written to encourage followers of Jesus that hope in our true home empowers us to live Jesus-centered lives in our temporary home. So it means our focus ought to be on the new heavens, the new earth that we'll be spending with Jesus forever. So my, my, my ask is, is really two things. One, please, please make time to join us for about eight to ten minutes for Beyond the Message. It's a time that we dig a little deeper right after this message. We're going to do it on a live chat. We encourage you to stick by, stick around, and give us your input. Give us some of the things maybe you learned this morning. The second thing, please consider, please consider going through the first Peter study. Um, it's available on our website, southridge.us, and you'll be able to see the study guide. Click on that. You'll be able to download it. We encourage you to do it maybe with your students, maybe with your spouse, and, of course, if you're in a group. You're doing it with your group. So those are my ask. So if it's, if it's okay, um, I want to take a moment because what we're going to talk about today is going to get heavy and it's going to be hard for some of you. So I want you to know, I wish I was in the room with you because some of the things that we'll be talking about today are very difficult, especially with some of you on the other side of the screen. But the tension that we're going to be building around is that I want you to know that I wish I was able to give you a side hug. I wish I was able to give you that fist bump because what we're going to be talking about for some of you is really difficult. We're going to be talking about divorce. We're going to be talking about sex and we're going to be talking about some of the things that uh, for some of us we've gone through a separation and it's been very difficult. So my hope is that as we dive in, as we dive in to Peter's letter, we're going to see that a healthy home leads to a healthy church. And it, like quite honestly, it's an off skate because not every not every home that is represented in our church, quite honestly, is the same. We have some who are single parents, we have others quite frankly who have both parents, but things aren't going well. And so one of the things we want to we want to talk through is it's an off skate no matter who you are, what you are, what's going on, I promise you that you're able to have and produce a healthy home with God's help. So we all know that divorce really disrupts things. A 2019 study showed that kids who were behind in school, partly it was a result because of a broken home. In 2017, a study showed that children living in intact nuclear families are less likely to have mental health struggles. So how husbands and wives, how they handle themselves determines if the home will be healthy. We want you, no matter what type of home you are, to be a healthy home. Do you know that husbands, wives, you set the tone for your kids. Like we'd all agree, we'd all agree 
that any type of organization that is trying to disrupt the nuclear family is irrational because the nuclear family is part of God's design. Anything else goes against that design. We need, we need healthy homes. So we're going to find out that what Peter wrote. We're going to dig in a little bit. And we're going to read things from the Roman and Greek culture that would have made cuties on Netflix seem PG-13. So last week, we learned that the early church positioned themselves on five things. The very first thing was they were multi-ethnic. They believed in racial justice. The second thing, they served the poor, so economic justice. They were peacemakers. Number four, they were pro-life. And number five, they positioned themselves on sexual integrity. They viewed sex only between a husband and a wife. So let's jump into the, let's kind of sort of keep in mind the third position of being a peacemaker and the fifth position of sexual integrity as we jump in and we begin to uh, read this section. So let's jump in. 1 Peter 3, 1. It says, in the same way, and let me just stop there for a second because what Peter is doing, he's referring back to 1 Peter 2 when he talks about slaves. What he's doing is he, he's giving a commentary on Jesus' sufferings to encourage slaves as he begins to write the next group of people, the next group of people who were considered an inferior or lower class, just like the slaves. They were women. Notice what he writes. You wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Now, that's loaded. And it's loaded for a few reasons. First, wives were classed as inferior to men, just like slaves were to free men. Women were under a different, I guess, code or set of marital and sexual expectations than men in both Roman and Greek cultures. And it's going to get dicey because women, if they were married, they were expected to remain faithful to their husbands. I mean, to pretty to to put it brunt, bluntly, if I can, women were seen as ba- basically baby makers. They were giving birth to legitimate children that would continue the legacy. Men, including husbands, they were giving more freedom to have sex with other women, male, female prostitutes, escorts, and slave boys and slave girls, like we said last week, as young as five or six. Now, Demosthenes, who was a Greek orator, this is what he wrote. He says, we men have concubines for pleasure. We have female slaves for our daily care. And our wives, they give us legitimate children to be guardians of our households. Like, if you go back to Peter's letter, he says, you wives must accept. The word accept, it, it really means submit. It's a military term that means to place under rank to God's position of the husband as the head of the home. So God has put the husband to be the head of the home. Now, Paul echoes the same thing in another letter in the New Testament, that headship wasn't or isn't a a dictatorship, but it's authority given by God. Larry Hurtado, who we we read about last week as he wrote the, the book, The Story of the Gods, he wrote that Christian wives would have had particular tensions course they would to deal with and difficulties in their efforts to live out their faith with this in mind peter continues he says then even if some refuse to obey the good news 
your godly lives will speak to them, remember this phrase, without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Submission is huge because it was across the board, whether you had a believing husband or an unbelieving husband, it was across the board. Submission was expected at just the cultured level. However, as a Christian, submission was done with purpose and identity. See, women were viewed as image bearers and equal with men by the church, which led to having women as one of the largest demographics in the early church. They were valued. They were seen as having inherent worth. And it all went all the way back to Genesis when God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. They were equal rulers. Then Paul, he writes in the New Testament, kind of echoing what Peter's writing, that men and women were equal in God's family. We saw each other as brothers and sisters. Jesus is our greatest example of submission. The reason why is he submitted to his Father's will to be a sacrifice to restore your relationship and my relationship with God. See, in the end, the, the believing wife was doing this not for her husband, but for God and his calling on her life. Gave her purpose. See, submission done through purpose and identity is influence. He, remember, he writes, without any words, or maybe in your version, not many words. It, it means that there's no preaching, there's no nagging. What it is, is they're simply inspiring and influencing their husband by their actions. It was an opportunity to win over unbelieving husbands through character and conduct, which was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Like if, if women were called by God to submit, then God would empower them to submit. Uh, this, this type of strength is not manufactured. It's from the Holy Spirit. Peter continues, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For for instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Man, that, that's incredible. Now, he focuses on a, a couple things. One of the things that he focuses on is the outward appearance. And he, what he's saying is, I don't want you to focus on the outward appearance for, for some of us. I think it's so easy to begin focusing on that. The game plan instead was, if you want to win your unbelieving husband over, it was to focus on the soul, not on style. See, every, every Roman woman was focused on the latest fashion. I've seen many middle-aged women who would come to see me as they're going through a separation with their cheating husband, and they're dressing like they're 18. What Peter's really trying to kind of get across is, look, and instead of focusing on style, 
Peter's encouraging wives to focus on their soul. See, by doing this, they are putting their trust in God by accepting the headship of their husband. Now, submission takes faith, especially in a home when there's an unbelieving husband. Peter gives Sarah as an example. I mean, could you imagine being Sarah? Hey, Dad. Hey, Mom. Abe heard from this God who is invisible and said for us to move to a land where we don't know. We don't know where this land is. We don't know where we're going. Could you imagine being Sarah's parent? But credit to her. Husbands had the authority to divorce their wives in that culture, whereas wives were free but had limited rights. Paul, who, who wrote on the same topic, gives some encouragement to women who were given divorce papers. He encourages them to walk away in peace and that the early church, they would step up and they would help and support any divorced woman. Peter continues with addressing the husbands. Notice this. He says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. That's really important because what Peter's, he's referring again, referring back to Jesus's, the commentary on Jesus' suffering to encourage not just slaves, not just wives, but now husbands to live as Christ, surrendering and submitting to God's will. See, see, some of you ladies might be wondering, why in the world do we get one, uh, four verses, but the husband's got one verse? Like, what's the deal with that? Well, that's, it's, honestly, Peter was focused on the women because not much attention, not much was given to women at that time. So what he's doing, he's trying to encourage them, especially those who are living, married to unbelieving husbands. The, the language in here, honor your wife, it means to try to understand. Let that just sink in for a second. <laughs> like an example of honor is to treat your wife with consideration and respect. It, it's empathy. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally needing to work on that. See, husbands are to be like the thermostat and the wife can be at times the thermometer. Both are needed. See, generally, women are not as physical or physically strong as the person they're married to, but they're spiritually equal. And what Peter's saying is, look, she's just as important as you are. See, men were to treat them as equal. And this was counter to Roman and Greek culture. And the whole premise of, hey, your prayers would be hindered is actually on cue with what Jesus taught. See, our horizontal relationships are a good key, good indication of how we're growing on our vertical relationship. So how we treat others is a reflection on how we see God, how we view God. I imagine the impact that we could have on society if husbands and wives live this way, if men and women lived this way. Dads, let me ask you a question. What type of man do you want your daughter to marry? Are you that person you're praying for, for to your wife? So Peter begins landing the plane in this section and he puts his attention to the church. He says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. 
sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. I believe this to be true. A healthy home leads to a healthy church. A healthy home leads to a healthy church. Like here are some of the characteristics that Peter writes of what a healthy home and a healthy church look like. There's sympathy. You're, you're of one mind. One mind meaning there's unity. We're on the same page together. We're going the same direction. And for our church, we're locked in mission and vision. Sympathy would be compassion for each other and willingness to understand where the other person is coming from. Could you imagine what love would look like and where this is seen in a culture I believe is talked about so often but hardly lived out? Could you imagine that my love for someone could actually change the way that I feel about them? He also says to be tender-hearted and humble. It means that I need to reveal a willingness to put others ahead of myself. Look, it's hard to pay people back, right, with a blessing. He says, pay people back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do. Could you imagine how difficult that is? There's a story of this couple who fight MMA, MMA, and they're in the coffee shop, and this guy's about 6'2". <laughs> Get their coffee, they leave. In the parking lot, they... They are flicked off. They are flicked off by some punk in a car. And he knew what they looked like. I mean, he knew exactly what he looked like. The next time they're in the coffee shop, guess who's there? Yeah, the guy that cut him off. So the guy who's 6'10", fights MMA, went over to the guy, looked down on him. He said, do you remember me? The guy looked up. No. Hey, you're the guy that licked me and my family off in the parking lot. You said a few things that you wanted to do to me. The guy looked up. No, I don't remember you. I mean, it's going to go down, right? I mean, this dude's got to get lit up right in the middle of the coffee shop. Wife yells from the back of the line, Hey, we want you to know we got your coffee. Hey, we want you to know we bought your coffee. Guy gets his coffee and runs off. I mean, could you imagine someone running you off the road, giving you, telling you that you're number one, and then you go and pay for their coffee. I mean, what a blessing, right? Look, I really believe, I truly believe that a healthy home leads to a healthy church. Look, if we can do that for someone who isn't a believer, like this believing MMA couple did it for someone that didn't believe, imagine how we can do it for each other. So my friends, John and Lori, they're going to share a little bit of their story. I want you, if you can, to lean in a little bit and listen to their story. It is an amazing story, and I'll be right back. I think if you had asked us uh, you know, how our marriage was, we probably would have said everything was fine. Um, and it probably looked that way from the outside. Um, the first couple of years of marriage were pretty rough, um, but we saw some significant growth. Um, saw some spiritual growth and some growth as a couple over the years. Um, come 2018, 
there was uh, quite a bit of growth, quite a bit of uh, moving through old hurts and leaving some things behind, but um, we were still kind of on the mend. There were still some areas where um, we just weren't quite right. Um, so summer of 2018, coming off of uh, what I saw as kind of a spiritual victory, I still hadn't addressed the fact that in the household I really didn't feel um, desired, maybe uh, honored or respected. Um, and work was really weird, and for the first time I didn't really feel like I was being um, respected or looked towards there. Uh, and that was really hard, um, but confident that I'd never do anything foolish or stupid, um, famous last words. I started looking uh, outside of the home for that uh, that honor, that affirmation, that respect. Um, a series of bad decisions later, and um, I found myself having an affair. And it was crazy um, just looking at where things were, and then um, all of a sudden where I ended up. And I remember one Sunday after a sermon um, being really convicted and uh, and I looked at Lori and I realized that here she was, you know, doing the right thing earnestly, trying to honor God with her lifestyle and do the right thing. And I was being a dirtbag. And um, I knew the only way that our marriage would ever be right is uh, if I took the initiative and made things right in the home. I wanted our marriage to be one that honored God and um, honored Lori. And I wanted our girls to grow up. Uh, seeing what honor looked like in the house. So uh, after that sermon, there was a long, uncomfortable drive home. And uh, when I got home and I told Lori everything, um, asked her forgiveness and uh, told her about the poor decisions I'd made and worried that I was going to lose everything, but knew that God uh, would uh, would make things right, that things would work out as I sought him and sought to lead by example and for the first time in a while do the right thing well and I knew that something was up too because normally we talk on our way home uh, about the sermon and what we got out of it and um, so I just started praying and I was like God just help me to forgive him for whatever has happened um, I didn't know at the time that anything had even happened it just was impressed upon my heart to um, pray that I would just forgive him mm -hmm. and um and I did. God, God allowed me to forgive him even before we got home. And, um, yeah, and so we were just sitting down, and as he told me everything, uh, I wasn't even really phased, I guess, about it, um, because God had just given me this peace about it. And um, instead of reacting the way I would have in our first couple years of marriage by throwing things or yelling or walking out, I just scooted closer and put his head on my shoulder and, and said that I had already forgiven him. And um, it didn't mean that there wasn't hurt there. Um, the hurt did definitely sink in um, as the minutes and the hours went by. Um, but I just kept giving it to God. And every time it came back, literally every minute, I was just like, no, God, I take it back. Um, because I wasn't going to keep it. I wanted our marriage to work. And I knew that in order for it to be used for God's glory, that I had to continue to give it back to Him and not hold on to it. I think if there's one thing that we can take away um, 
just from a, uh, sort of the male perspective, the exhortation in this passage, um, it would definitely be that I needed to do a better job. I still need to work on it on the daily um, of leading the household, not just by example, but with compassion to seek to understand you better, um, to seek to understand ways that I can be um, more honoring of you, to love you better, um, to you know, come in and, and help and uh, just generally do my best to make your life um, brighter and, and more full of God by, you know, breathing the word over you and just making sure that, you know, you're loved. Well, I think for a wife, so a woman's perspective, I think it's really important for us to remember that submission is not only outward, but inward. Um, you can still say, yes you know to your husband or uh, or do that thing but if you're still grumbling inside it's not actually submission um so it's really important that we um, are also submitting on the inside trusting that we know that our husbands have our best in mind um and then ultimately that we're accountable to god for it um we're not responsible for how our husbands act or responsible for ourselves and um, i think that that's really clear in this passage that we are to have a gentle and quiet spirit and no part of that um, is, you know, being angry or, or bitter or uh, holding anything against our husbands. I think if there's one thing, one piece of advice I'd, I'd put out there to a couple who's struggling, I'd say that it, it's not over. Um, as I was faced with potentially losing everything, I trusted that if ever there was a miracle work in God, who could keep us together, who could use this for his glory. It's the God we serve. And I've, I'm just absolutely blown away that um, not only did God strengthen our marriage uh, in the healing that followed, but um, we really feel like now we have a testimony and a story worth sharing. And, you know, your tragedy right now is, uh, is God's potential triumph and victory that we can praise him for so don't give up and trust that by taking that right step god will bless you for it and one thing i would encourage is remember that you are um, accountable to god only and that um, you're responsible for your actions and so you staying committed you working on getting closer to god and focusing and getting rid of of control um, we aren't meant to have control and so releasing that control to God really um, does give you uh, more peace than it does anxiety and um, can really uh, just set up God up, set God up with opportunities for growth. Hopefully their story encouraged you. I know that it encouraged me. Sitting down and hearing their story at length is hopefully one day we'll like to, we'll like, we'll like to do because it is a really powerful story. But one takeaway that I had is that following God is difficult. It isn't easy. When he's calling us to do something that at, it seems countercultural, it seems unfair, one thing we do know is that he empowers us to live out that calling. Whether you're a wife, whether you're a mom, whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, whether you're a husband, whether you're a father, God has placed a calling on your life and my life. It's up to us to live in that calling because he will empower us to live in that calling.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this unique opportunity to look at a really hard piece of scripture. Uh, we're so glad that it's there because it does give us direction. It does allow us to know how you want us to live. God, we believe that your design is best, even though culture might fight against it, even though it might seem unfair, it might seem unreasonable. Father, you have the best design. Help us to surrender to that design. Father, I'm thinking right now, there might be people who are watching who are not followers of Jesus. And I'm asking that you will draw them to yourself, that following Jesus is worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. Having a relationship with you is worth it. Because your design is best. So Father, help us to live out the calling that you placed on our lives, whether as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, or as a mom or a dad. Father, help us to live out that calling. In Jesus' name, amen.